All it takes is a click to listen to RTI Online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first, we take you over to Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, October 17th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Jake Chen Hello. and Shirley Lin. Hello. Coming up next, introducing a new AI system developed here in Taiwan that can be used to identify pests on your crops. Then the Taipei MRT, our metro system here, puts its foot down and gets serious about enforcing the rules. And if you've ever wanted to see 5,000-year-old pellets of rice, we'll be telling you why now may be your chance if you go down to the southern city of Tainan. All that coming up in just a moment. Please stick around. off today, though, a little update on a story that I think we brought you last week, I think it was. Um, we were talking about Taipei 101 and the hard times that have hit the iconic building uh, as China bans most tourists, it seems now, from coming to the island. Um, and that's been going on for a few months now, and it's hit the building pretty hard because Chinese visitors were a big source of income, uh, not only... I think we said, like, in the observatory, which costs quite a bit of money to go up to, but also in the lower shopping areas. So they're trying to get more people from Taiwan, who may be passed by every day but have never really gone in before, uh, to go check it out. And it seems like this policy has been a success. Uh, we told you last week that from October 10th, National Day, all the way through almost the end of the year, a ticket for a Taiwanese citizens, if you show their ID, will be reduced from the original almost $20 US, wow, down to $3 US dollars and 27 cents. You may wonder why that particular number. Um, recall it's called Taipei 101, and in our currency, the new Taiwan dollar, that's the equivalent of 101 anti dollars. Mm -hmm. So, pretty funny symbolic uh, number yeah. there. Um, and we had just had a four day national day holiday, a long weekend here, and it, this. Uh, article from the Taiwan News declares that the policy started with a bang. They, attra they attracted long lines to take the high-speed elevators to the 89th floor. Oh, so right. I'm glad I was not there this weekend. That would have been chaotic. <laughs> um, you know how we are with lining up for things. Yes. Um, uh, they said that uh, up to 99% of the people who were responding to the price cut uh, were first-time visitors. 99% of the sure. people who were attracted had never... Well, it was going to cost you $20, you know, and you yeah. see the building every day. Mm -hmm. You know, get in a plane or something, right? Um, but uh, apparently that significant price reduction was enough to draw them in. Uh, up to 60% were families as well, so more than one person in the party. So a lot of, uh, hopefully, income generated from that. Uh, yeah, until now, most people who go up there have been foreigners. I don't really... You don't really see many... <laughs> People from Isn't Taiwan. That funny? I mean, I it's been here for how many years now? I think um, pretty much once you've done it a few times, it's like, okay. Yeah. 
But um, I, I know that when that news first came out, uh, one of my friends posted on Line Group, you know, the social app, and she was going like, "Hey, look at this! You know, we should make good use of this." And I, and and you you know that she probably never went up there before because she's not the kind of person who would spend that kind of money. And so now you know she's like, "Let's go!" You know, it's a lot of money. Yeah, and she's going to bring her so. two kids. I'm sure it's it's all going to be worth it. You know, as a family kind of outing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, it's this goes through December 30th. We'll see how it goes. Again, I'm not sure if people are were waiting for price reductions, how that's going to drive up income in other shops and things because right. they're, they're coming to save money, right? So I don't know if, <laughs> if it's going to help anyone else, but at least there are long lines. It's been a few months now, I think, since we reported about the fall armyworm, a very horrifying uh, insect that was uh, not really introduced. It kind of flew across the water to Taiwan, uh, and uh, people were very scared at the time that it would do very big damage to Taiwan's agricultural sector. We've got a new AI system here, though, that may help us solve that problem. This is a system that can not only spray pesticide, but also tell you when you've got pests. Right. Uh, apparently, the goal of the system is to spray pesticides, but sparingly. Uh, the impetus... Uh, for the system's creation by a group of students from the Department of Biomechanics from the Jai University is that local farmers have often overused pesticides to the point where uh, they caused uh, pollution uh, to the crops and the surrounding area. So I don't really want to know how much they've overused that. But, um, and also spraying pesticides inside greenhouse eventually does cause harm to the farmers and, and whoever works inside because you can imagine all the stuff get trapped inside and doesn't really sort of disperse right, in the air. Right. So the students have uh, and the researchers have uh, built a system um, using, uh, this is pretty impressive, um, more than 1,400 photos of different kinds of pests to, uh, and use AI learning. So you apparently you know scan them individually uh, and then the uh, machine at this point has got a pretty good idea of the different kind of pests that uh, it can identify and it would only spray if it identifies um, sort of the, the kind of pest and that uh, it has uh, learned to to recognize with its own system mm. so this leads to a significant reduction of uh, pesticide use and, and a more efficient use obviously and also this machine uh, knows how to sort of navigate the the aisles uh, between different uh, sort of when you're when you're in the field and when you're in uh, it's like rows of crops yeah rows of crops so you can you can uh, you can work on itself so you don't actually need a human operator on or even near the machine when it's working on its own hmm. so pretty pretty impressive stuff they uh, build one prototype so far and it's you know it's proven that it's able to sort of occupy an area measuring roughly 300 uh, square meters all by itself. Wow. So, so it remains to be seen how they're going to, I guess, develop it and potentially mass produce it and put it to use. Well, they may get rid of the insects, but maybe farmers' jobs as well. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Then why do we need farmers we're in the first place? have automated agriculture before too long at this rate. But, uh, I mean, at least, you know, it's not organic, but at least it's a step in that direction. Yeah, and, uh, seriously. It's uh, pretty amazing what these robots can do. Taipei's Metro is telling us that we need to behave. Yes, well, I mean, you've both taken the MRT, right? I mean, like what kind of regulations or, or things that are advised by the MRT staff when you take the MRT? What have you noticed? I mean, name off some few. Well, they advi- you mean like in the announcements? Uh, no, not necessarily. Maybe never, signs or never, maybe even announcements. I, mean, I never really pay attention to announcements. No. They may probably make announcements. And they're really long, which is yeah. annoying. 
So, right. like, for example, maybe something about backpacks. Oh, I hate that. Um, <laughs> because I'm like, if you want it, they're like, they want you to carry your backpacks. And my backpack yes. weighs like 20 pounds. I'm or, like, you want to lift like it for me? In front of your chest. Right. Or, yeah, switch, switch it to the front, uh, you know, um, yeah, you or something. Um, um, the one that bugs me is when people, like, don't make any effort to cover their mouth and they just sneeze over everyone. Uh, oh, yeah. That okay. really annoys me. Seen those. All right. Well, the one particular, um, I mean, regulations, um, you know, that they're going to start promoting right now is concerning backpacks. Mm. And in effect, um, you know, uh, they're going to have the staff start wearing these vests that actually have these writings on their vests saying that please put your backpack uh, in your hand, hold it in your hand, or another sign that says put your backpack in front of you, in, in, in front of your chest. And then there's another one, uh, which is um, don't look down on your mobile phone. Because yeah, good, good luck getting anyone to follow that rule. Right, because, I know, because um, some people actually would be looking down the mobile phone, they'll stop short uh, on the platform. And so they block all these people behind them, you know, without knowing what people they've done. People do that anyway like without that. looking at their mobile phone. So I think... I know, or just even a, miss their stops, right? Just be like a bit more aware of what's going on around you is probably a better right. idea. Oh, um, the other thing is that um, maybe there's a reason why they want you to hold your backpack in your hand or put it in front of you is because uh, 50% of the times when uh, these MRT doors won't close or they close and they don't, you know, the car can't move because something's in the way, it's because of these things that accessories that you hang from these backpacks. They get caught in the doors? They get caught in the door and then the door doesn't close. And the and entire the train it, has to wait? It doesn't, yeah, and then the train has to wait. Um, so 50% of the time, you know, is because of these accessories. So that's an, another reason why they're really trying to um, promote this and, you know, and get into people's heads about these rules in the next coming month. Hmm. Uh, it's the second time that they're actually doing some kind of promotion in some serious way. Huh. Oh, I've so, seen signs. Of, about yeah. that you're t- I know what you're talking about. That just, um, I don't know. I, I think maybe they need to have something. Like, they have one of the strictest... Metro systems in the world, as far as I'm aware, you can't drink on the train. Not even water. Oh, yeah. right? Not, Not even, even water. water. And I was and caught I've, drinking I know water. People once. who've been fined uh-huh. for that. Wow. Good thing I wasn't fined that time. I was drinking water and waiting for the train on a platform. I'm not sure if the measure really works because I mean, the, one of the whole points of advising you to put your backpacks in front of you is to like you you save some space for the people around you. Yes, right? and it's in front of you. And then right, and then they're moving. They're putting extra bodies on the ground, like literally people. To walk around and, and get onto the metro to show you. I, I, mean, I always have like that. multiple bags hanging off of me. I'm like, if you want to try carrying all this in your hands, go ahead. You might guess, but I can't. Well, uh, actually, I you doesn't. know sometimes sometimes when I do have a backpack, you know, I, I I do put it in front of me or put it in my hand because people come in and they're not knocking you, you know, like. Off Le- left and right, yeah. Yeah, but like I said, people just, do that anyway. They just aren't aware of what's going on around them. It's yeah. so well. I mean, for my own sake, you we're know. pretty comfortable with uh, physical contact here. Oh, you have to be. It's, it can be very crowded. Right. Um, yeah. I try. I try my best to like not go during any peak hours at all mm-hmm. because it's just like too much. Yeah. Well, you know, some netizens have also complained about other things. Like, for example, try you know, don't stand by the doorway. I mean, if there's lots of space inside the train itself, yeah. why, why stand by the doorway and then blocking, you know, the entrance? Hmm. But actually what what it is saying here is that well, it's affecting passengers, but they're more affecting, they, they care more about affecting 
the train schedule. They're more、uh, effect, about affecting the traffic itself. Okay, so that's what they're getting serious about、mm. and promoting. All right. Yeah, and I'm、um, even to the point where they've like made some videos and you know with the staff members, you know, kind of like getting into the act of、um, acting out these、uh, rules, scenarios,、right. scenarios, and things、wow. like that. Made into a film. The the problem with showing video is that、uh, all the videos are shown on、uh, one of those screens where you had to raise your head to see. See,、uh, but people are have their heads down ninety five percent of the time, and I'm not even exaggerating in the in the MRT. So yeah,、mm. yeah. Well, I don't know if they can get. Well, they got us to stop drinking water, so I guess that's a step.、Mm. Um, and there's all you know, no chewing gum, no food. No beetle nut, which is a Taiwan-specific problem. You can't carry birds or anything. There's a fear、right. of bird flu, so you can't carry any type of live fowl. Re- really? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no, if you look at the signs, they tell you that. In、yeah. some places, you can't have what bicycles. What about what about a snake? I, I saw someone. Well, he was carrying the snake in a bag. You know, one of those nets. Oh. Yeah, because he was coming away from the Taipei Fashion Week, and he was a photographer. He had the had this big. Snake, fat snake around his neck.、Uh-huh. I don't know what kind of snake it is. An alive one. Anyway, it's a live one. Wow. I、yeah. guess it's live. It's in a container. It's yeah, it's it was in a container. Yep. But、oh, wow. um. Anyway. I'm not sure if they'll get us to follow the rules, but they can certainly try. <laughs> But yet another interesting-looking museum that's opening.、Uh, actually, it will officially open. It looks like this week. Um, after a nine-month soft opening, I've always found that phrase very strange. <laughs> soft opening.、Um, It's like trial open. Yeah,、um, and that was a big success. This, we're talking about the National Museum of Prehistory's Tainan branch.、Um, they are the National Museum of Prehistory is based in the eastern town of Taidong. And it's a very lovely area.、Uh, not very easy to get to.、Uh, trains are often overbooked, and it's a, quite a journey from Taipei, for instance. So I think maybe that's why they're choosing to open a second branch. But、mm. the other thing is that the place that they've chosen is pretty interesting because、uh, this part of Tainan they found a sixty over sixty cultural sites on a single piece of land that's used for their Southern Taiwan Science Park area. So they've got about a thousand hectares or so. And they have a dense con- concentration of sites where they find stuff. I mentioned、uh, that they found fossilized、uh, rice pellets that are that show people that show that people lived in the area five thousand years ago and they were eating rice. They found those. They must have had magnifying glasses. I don't know how they found them, but、yeah. uh, they discovered them in the nineties while preparing to build what's now our high speed rail system. Which passes through there.、Uh, also, more evidence of what people are eating in prehistoric times. There's. Crystallized parts of a bone found in fish heads, which are about the same age. So they had fish, they had rice,、uh, but it's not all food related. I would say pretty healthy diet for people from five thousand years ago. You know, in Taiwan, we have to focus on the food. What were they eating? That's the question that's <laughs>、right. on everyone's mind. <laughs>、yep. um, but it's not just that. There's、uh, some quite interesting fashion statements from prehistoric times too. <laughs>、uh, one of the big highlights that they're going to have here,、uh, also dug up, it looks like in the area, is a jade necklace. That's a bit newer,、uh, somewhere between two and three thousand years old, and it's tied together with 188 pieces of jade. What's always interesting about finding jade in different parts of Taiwan is that it only comes from one place, Hualien, across、mm-hmm. the island. Like it, that's a very 
you can imagine without trains that yeah. have taken forever to get there across mm. some extremely high mountains. And they say this proves, this shows that Taiwan already had quite an extensive trading network of some kind back in the day. Um, and so there's all kinds of stuff. Some of it has never been shown before, publicly displayed. Uh, so, yeah, they're going to have 400, 540 sorry, items, uh, primarily consisting of locally unearthed artifacts. So it's not just like a new branch where they're going to spread their collection out. They're showcasing things from right beneath the ground there, where they are. Uh, it's a shame they didn't have them, didn't open one in Taipei, but I think there's been a lot of effort lately to sort of balance out the way our museums and cultural institutes are distributed. Right. Uh, people, I think, often complain that Taipei gets everything. So <laughs> and it's not it near us. It's, oh yeah, well, it's not Mo- near us. Most of the time, right? But uh, a couple of years ago, they opened a new National Palace Museum branch down south to try and give people down there more access to these sorts of things. So fair enough. Yeah. And the stuff does come from there. So it's local oh, yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of this stuff has never been uh, displayed before. And so uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. I mean, they had fifty-three, more than 53,000 visitors during their sort of soft, soft opening. opening, which lasted for about nine months. Uh, now, at the end of the week, I think on Saturday, it looks like, uh, they're going to be officially opening. And uh, we'll see how the local people react. Over now to Shirley with a story about an attempt to introduce Taiwanese cuisine to South Africa. Yes, this is a cooperation between Taipei City University of Science and Technology and the Overseas Chinese Association. That's an interesting bunch. What does science and technology have to do with food? Okay, well, it's particularly talking about the uh, food and beverage management. Um, department. I didn't know that was a science. <laughs> they, have anyway. it, they have it down to a science, apparently. Yeah. Hey, you know, robots, I think right? Taiwan's universities, when it comes to science and technology universities, actually covers, yeah, very broad. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think this particular professor and chef, probably, Hong Ming Zhao, um, so by the, with, uh, you know, with the invitation, he went over to cook some very specific Taiwanese local snacks and dishes hmm. in South Africa. And okay. did they choose South Promoting Africa for there. any particular reason? Um, actually, this is a, a, a bigger uh, project where they were um, trying to cross six continents and in introducing Taiwan's um, specialties. Uniting the world with food. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So 19 countries in 63 cities, wow. that is. And then, um, so, but, you know, Hong Professor was uh, in South Africa, and he particularly introduced um, the, uh, the oyster omelette. It. Ah, and then also, classic. yeah, and also the deep fried, um, what is it now, sweet potato balls, you know, yeah. Are you talking about like di guacio? Uh, oh, di guacio, okay. right? And also the Taiwanese style mi gao, sort of like a, um, a, a rice paste dish, you know, with some ingredients, you know, stuffing inside. Yeah, That's not bad. it's sort of like a rice mold kind of thing with um, yeah stuffing mold inside. as in <laughs> rice you, mold. You, you, you put it in a, in a bowl. Jello mold, not as in <laughs> right. actual no, mold. No, 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 not, no. Not, I'm not talking about moldy mold. Careful. No, not right. moldy mode. Yeah, and with this project, you know, um, the South Africans are getting excited and really? could probably be coming to visit Taiwan because of this reason. So it's sort of a tourism promotion. Sort drive? of, yeah. If you yeah. Wanna, it's like a teaser. If you want the rest of it, you have to come exactly. try it for yourself. Yeah, hmm. and so. So um, they've also promoted like the um, 
Shen uh, Suji, you know, these um, oh, deep fried um, chicken, chicken salty nuggets. Chicken. That's yeah. something that I think is universally appreciated. Yes, even anything deep fried, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And also San Beiji, it's a three cup chicken, which is... Uh, it has a very strong basil taste to it. Uh, yeah, Yeah, really? I think so. But it's actually a cup of rice wine, a cup of uh, soy sauce, and a cup of, I think, probably uh, brown sugar or something like that. It's, yeah, something it's that a very... Well. Yeah, I and also... I wonder some interesting fusion recipes, like tofu biltong or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody can make that. I don't know. Seriously. We'll try it out. Yeah, and, and, and of course, you have to introduce the brief noodle soup. Uh, of course. Yes. All right. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. Lights, Camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome back to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. In the last two weeks, we've been talking about Scoop, a Japanese movie that shines a light on the Japanese paparazzi industry, and with that, the side of the celebrity culture that we don't often see. We have been following the footsteps of our protagonist, veteran paparazzi photographer Nojo, who has teamed up with Nobi, a total newcomer in the field. As the pair completes one assignment after another, the chemistry between the two has gotten significantly better. The person who changes the most, predictably, is the younger Nobi. She at one point looks down on the work by paparazzi, since she believes it's unethical to generate a profit off of people's private life. And she also just happens to fall into this industry so none of what she does is really by choice. But halfway through the movie, she's finally gained a new level of appreciation for the job because she knows how much work is involved to just get one good photo. We previously said that a pair was getting assignments that were bigger and bigger and more impactful on society. And towards the second half of the movie, the tone really shifts from a humorous one to a more serious tone. And it's at this point that Nojo and Nobi take on an assignment that's arguably bigger than any of the previous ones. The chief editor presents a case proposal to the entire team. The magazine has got wind that the police will transfer a serial murder suspect and there could be a brief window where he might reveal himself. And at this point, the suspect's identity still remains unknown. This assignment is highly controversial even among paparazzi who normally thrive on controversy. And it's for a number of reasons. 
The young man in question is suspected to have raped and murdered four female college students. The case has caused a huge stir in Japan, since many are angered by the heinous act and have demanded that the police reveal the suspect's identity. However, the police have to operate within the confines of the law in Japan and follow due process. Whether that makes sense or not is something that we'll discuss later. But the dilemma that faces reporters and photographers is a very real one. They either leave this bundle of headaches for somebody else and move on to something else, or they tackle this assignment. The attention that a case has already garnered means that a magazine will certainly benefit from a significant amount of exposure, but they also run the risk of being sued. So, what to do with this hot potato in hand? Though many colleagues from another department who are present at the meeting are more so inclined to just leave it, since there is just too much risk attached with the case and too little reward. After all, the suspect will be under heavy police protection during his transfer process, and they might not even know if the photographers could capture a photo of his face. <laughs> One senior editor voices against such idea, and he lays out his case pretty clearly, saying that people no longer want to read things that are too serious, subjects that are related to legal matters or politics. He even bemoans the bygone era of pure journalism. But at the end, he says there is simply no need to tackle something with so many headaches, and that could backfire on the magazine. Most people in the room agrees with him, but at this moment, nobody voices her difference. Nobi says that despite how unpopular the subject matter is, she's still angered by the fact that a suspect has raped and killed four young women, and all of them are around the same age as her. And when the senior editor uses basic rights for the suspect as an argument, Nobi really exploded. <laughs> It's worth noting that there is a strict hierarchy based on work experience and seniority in workplaces in Japan. It is commonly expected for younger employees to be obedient towards more senior employees. Gestures of respect, such as bringing teas and bringing gifts, is quite common. Therefore, Nobi's sudden burst of disagreement is very out of place, and hence why she immediately apologizes following her statement. The entire office stays silent for quite a few moments before the staff members gather themselves again. Nobi's voicing of her dissent has somewhat earned the respect of an editor, but before the project can move forward, Nobi still has to convince the best photographer in the office, Nojo, to come with her. Nojo is initially quite lukewarm about the idea. In his eyes, it has all the downsides and none of the upsides that he normally expects. Comparing to taking paparazzi photos of celebrities, this one is not anywhere near as exciting or sexy. 
However, Nobi was eventually able to persuade him because she shows that she's absolutely not going to waver in her pursuit of this project. It's way too personal for her to give up. If she has to carry a camera into the field herself, she says she would do it. Come the day of the shoot, Nobi and Nojo find that several dozens of reporters and photographers are already waiting at the perimeter of the location where the suspect is said to be transferred. The police anticipates the touchy nature of the case and has therefore dispatched a large number of officers to make sure that no reporters can breach the parameters. Even for a veteran like Nojo, this is no easy assignment. And that previous trick where he lights up fireworks to divert people's attention certainly won't work here either. Desperate tasks call for desperate measures, and Nojo has brought along a friend of his to serve as a diversion. Nojo tells his friend to set off and run through the field, deliberate towards the police and attract their attention. That doesn't work for too long since the police quickly pins him down, where the suspect is still standing in a makeshift booth and his face is entirely covered. All the photographers on the side wait in vain with their cameras and long lenses. They can't get a shot of his face after all. Nojo suddenly drags Nobi in front of a camera and tells her to keep her eyes glued and focused on the subject. Nobi is totally not ready to take such a big responsibility all by herself, but Nojo leaves her with little time or choice. He grabs a camera and runs out onto the field, yelling and shouting. The police quickly gather around Nojo and try to stop what looks like a paparazzi who's running inside the field to catch photos. They try to tackle Nojo, who's running around like a wild man, and eventually does pin him down. But trying to control two people have really disrupted the police, and their manpower has spread thin. In a moment of oversight, the shade covering the face of the suspect has blown up by the wind, and the police wasn't quick enough to catch it in time. The face of a young man is revealed for a split second, and Nobi clicks the shutter in time and then made a gesture to Nojo, who's down on the ground. She signals to him that she's got a shot in the back. Having a shot that no other photographer on the field was able to get to on that day serves as a huge benefit to the magazine. Days after the shoot, members gather around in the office and it is revealed to them that the monthly sale of the magazine has exceeded 300,000 copies. The staff burst into cheers and they decide to go to a local bar to celebrate. While the rest of the crew is busy singing karaoke and cheering, Nobi looks through the crowd and sees Nojo sitting in the corner by himself. She gives him an admiring look and she knows more than anyone else that she was able to get to the shot because Nojo was willing to put himself out there. That he was willing to sacrifice himself for a split second of an opportunity. Later on in Nojo's apartment, the two hook up in what feels like a spur of the moment. Later on, Nobi wakes up to a metallic shutter sound. She sees Nojo taking a photo of her with a vintage camera. She asks him what it is, 
and Nojo shows her the camera and tells her his life story. Nojo says that he wasn't much good at anything when he was young except for taking photos. He later on gets attracted by the works of Robert Kappa, a highly respected and decorated war photographer. He brings along a book and says that he used to want to follow Kappa's footsteps and be a great photographer and take photos that are significant, that have meaning. He never anticipated that all he did after more than two decades of clicking shutters in the field was to become a paparazzi who would chase after celebrities day after day. Nojo is indeed a complex character with a lot of contradictions. On the one hand, he could appear to be quite laid back and he cares little about things outside of his work. On the other hand, when push comes to shove, he surprisingly is willing to lay his own life on the line to help a newcomer in the field. It's no wonder that Nobi is attracted to him. Now, next week, we will wrap up the movie and see what happens to Nojo and Nobi moving forward. Thank you for listening to Lights Camera Asia. I'm Jake Chen. Talk to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Zhu Ping is the founder of Aveda and Kamon International. Aveda is like a brand in beauty products and spa. He had also written a book titled Business Maker, Day Maker, Ripple Maker. I said, I think I know what Business Maker and Ripple Maker are, but I don't know what Day Maker is. So Ping said that he didn't give that name himself, but that somebody else whom he admires greatly gave him that name. It's like you make my day. In this case, making someone's day. And Ping is that kind of person. Last week, Ping talked about coming back from the States and having to take care of his sick dad. Um, the whole ordeal changed his life and made him realize how much life is really short. Today, he will expand on the optimistic side of how he looks at life. I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm on the treadmill all my life. You know, train me up. Yeah. I just keep walking. Yeah. Everything's happened. No, very smooth. I cannot get off the train me. Actually, I have mortgage to pay. I have a tuition to pay. You know, I have work. And so suddenly I realized that this is time I I should step off the train me up because my father's death. So I take one year off. Leave all our saving. Uh, take you were still a student then. No. Uh, yes. Make a long story short, yes, I was still okay. a student. But actually, I quit my job. My 
my ex-life, real profession is a pharmacist. Okay. I'm working as a pharmacist in the United States for about uh, uh, 12 or 13 years. Right. And I decided, again, to change. Uh, I, I can imagine I, I've been working this for the rest of my life, so I want to become a dentist. So I applied dental school. I study, go through all those uh, application process. Ambition. Not that, it's not ambitious. Find another, another career, another, another path in your life, and, and a stable, a stable life. As dentists, you don't have to worry that much. You, know, you just open your practice, uh, have patients, you take care of them. Uh, so I just changed. I just changed the pace of my life. I changed uh, the way that I, I live my life. So I decided to go to school, become a student. So, but I, right, I, I finished the first school, my dental school. My father got sick, so I take a leave. I see. So she had a teeth, uh, leave of abscess in the school. So I have a choice then, right? The student. So, so I decided to to, to to take another year off to see what what I want to do. And during that time, in a long story short, I met someone. He asked me to help uh, find a distributor in Taiwan, and uh, since I'm from Taiwan, yes. so I, I was I know anyone in Taiwan. My mother said that, so I had to come back to Taiwan. So I said I can help you on that. So I come back to Taiwan. I find my friends and uh, ask them if they want anyone want to do it. But they are, but they propose a very short term. It's a transaction model. So uh, I don't think it's the right way to do it. So so we decide to to start myself. I become a distributor. All right, Ping. Yes. Let's talk about now. Okay. You know what you're doing for Taiwan. Mm -hmm. I think you're doing a lot to um, inspire young people, from what I know, mm -hmm. and also about keeping the foreign talents that we've got here to, to stay in Taiwan. Yes. Am I right? Yes. I mean, That's you're super important. Yeah. Um, like with forward Taiwan, mm -hmm. it seems like you're doing something really serious. It's talking about like visa and policies, that kind of stuff to to help foreigners making it easier for them to stay and you know start their business or startups too you're also helping with that mm -hmm. to do a whole lot of st mm -hmm. things but what inspired you to do so much of these things for Taiwan I know you love Taiwan and I think you really care about the fact that we're getting old but we want to help young people to succeed and everything mm -hmm. right right mm -hmm. yeah. and so yeah this is all it's it's all part of your ripple maker yeah uh, mentality. You are absolutely right. Right. What exactly are you doing right now? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, I think first thing is that we we are the privileged few. We are the privileged few. Uh, we, 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 we have experience living abroad. So we see the world. We travel around. We have a, we have a very uh, sustainable uh, business model that which is totally in line with the environment with the higher purpose. I'm very lucky I just bumped into that. So so I didn't really actually see him. I want I wanna protect the environment. I wanna solve the climate change. I do. And then I wanna do that. No, it's just just, just stumble into this. So I, I always think I'm very lucky. I started business in nineteen eighty eight. Taiwan just started opening up. Okay. So I'm I'm very lucky and that right time, right place. And uh, and so so I, that's why I'm privileged, privileged one. And uh, as a privileged one, then we, we should all take some risk. We should all do something that that's keyword. Do something that we believe, and do something we love. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I keep telling people it's kind of cliche, but it's true. I don't do this to love Taiwan. 
Because love Taiwan is a fake issue. Name one people who doesn't love Taiwan in oh, Taiwan. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. My thing is really simple. I think uh, Taiwan should connect to the world. Or the world should connect to Taiwan, either way. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. I'm privileged to one. We are all privileged to one. We can speak English. We can go direct to the source to get the cutting edge information. We don't need a gatekeeper to translate. Because certain things you, you cannot translate. But we're the privileged few. And that's why I say I, I want to do something. And one thing through the Red Room, I think you know the Red Room. Red Room is a very special community that will start from this, from this, this, this place. This very room? Oh, yeah, that very room. Yeah, we start right from this room. The idea is really simple that uh, I want to create a, a English-friendly space community. Okay. Otherwise, when we talk about bilingual education, we talk about English actually useless. That's just yeah. for the test, okay. for the resume, for the TOEIC score. English is a living language. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to, to, to use that language in a daily conversation, making friends. So I, I say I want to create a English-friendly community, but then I'm a business person, so I want to find a way that I have a strong stickiness, a strong uh, affiliate to this kind of English environment. Okay. So during that time, I, I choose the poetry, wow. spoken words, poetry, because I think that a lot of people is very good with words, but they all want to share, right? This is a, that, that's the way they're motivating to create a new thing. So we start from a poetry, Poetry really means you can either read your own creation, or can you read a Somebody chapter else's. somewhere else yeah. that really touched you? Okay. okay, but in English. In English, always. Uh, English or multilingual. Sometimes with Japanese. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. So, what has that developed into? The okay. Red Room, this whole ideal of, you know, um, using English, reading poetry. What has it developed into right now? That, that's the, what we, we can touch the very important part. Yeah, yeah. Really? yeah, I get know so many talented people. Yeah. And uh, of course, most of them come for teaching English. But this is not yeah. a profession, that true, true talent. Okay, mm -hmm. they teach English. So we create this environment for all those people, creative people, to exercise their creative nature. But okay. mostly in the arts? Like poetry? Poetry, and then now of course evolve, right? We start yeah. with poetry, then we start the singing, singing, we start like composing, we start novel reading, we start a radio, live radio show. Really? And being a live radio show, really? it's so much fun. Really? Everybody read the script, okay. and then we have big signs, applause, that everybody get applause, <laughs> create a scary sound, everybody create a scary So we can immerse it. That's truly immersing uh, act now, but with professional script. It's a beautiful story. So we do all those things to become a, a, a hub for all the creative people, okay. regardless of nationality, regardless of profession. But come to the Red Room, we can celebrate to each other's uh, passion. We, 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 we talk about that. We, we, once we walk in this room, we should listen without judgment. 30 or 40 people watching you, complete quiet, you got nervous on that stage, sure. but you overcome that, uh -huh. and you become a better person of yourself. So we create this kind of environment, and then gradually grow and grow and grow, become a very important uh, uh, platform and community for all the international creative. Yeah, and then, 
I realized something about a, such a such a stupid and uh, I like to use the stupid. I don't want to use other words. Stupid uh, immigration law yeah. that have so many building barrier that prohibit or discourage the foreigner to stay in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Because the law never really make any change because they don't have votes, right? So lawmaker not interested that much. Yeah, they they think they're more they're not they're not that constituency, right? And they create a conservative people angry about it. You you have so many people here, and then you you can depress the salary, the state in the job, all those myth of immigration. So so the laws never changed. So I decide that Taiwan's future is. Let's get all those people involved in Taiwan. So we, if we want to go out, out of Taiwan, we want to connect the world, we needed these people yes. to connect the world because they know what they love Taiwan. We cannot promote what we like Taiwan, but it may, may not necessarily in their culture, they appreciate it. So, so I, I decided we want to change the, 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 the immigration. But I never have any opportunity or experience to deal with government. I know. I you don't have any. But you then you touched politics before, no, right? No. But now policy and politics different. Okay. 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 Policy, right. okay. Exactly. So so I I started well, luckily we have Facebook, right? Yeah. I just start with Facebook and I create a, a, a very enthusiastic, very supportive uh, uh, fans, okay, and we have about twenty five thousand over the years talk about the issue, and then uh, immigration with a lot, and then I started from the, the lowest level of the policy maker, which is uh, uh, the uh, city, city council, yeah. and all the way great gradually uh, city uh, labor un- uh, labor uh, uh, labor ministry labor ministry. Go all the way all the way to the to National uh, Development Council. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, the, they, they are the one deep design policy. I know. You're, you're at that level now. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 luckily, we have a really Actually, good civil servant now. Yeah, we got some breakthrough recently. Oh, yeah. About the, Big you know, the breakthrough. Yeah. Check Google the go car in Taiwan's immigration uh, uh, rule, whatever. We created a go car. Recently, gold card. Gold card. Okay. Gold card. Okay. That means you have the privilege of of, of work permit, oh, okay. multiple entry, but you don't need an employer to sponsor you. Yeah, that's yeah. most of that's a key I know barrier. Employee. That's another big key. And another big area is a salary. You have a certain set salary. Okay. Then you can come. Otherwise, we we consider a clean job from our local. Oh, so stupid now. We're not thinking this people bring that experience, bring that skill, bring the knowledge to, to Taiwan. So this go-kart is a, is a breakthrough to me. Yes. If you have any special, you are a photographer with, with, with a certain credential, of course, sure, right? Sure. And you really are a photographer. Yeah, yeah. You are National Geography, Simon, whatever now. And then I like Taiwan. Come on, use that credential to apply in Taiwan. Okay. You don't need an employer. You don't need to prove you have a job here. That's but you true. come over here, give you this car, then you can start working, connecting, make Taiwan go your place. Yeah. Basically, so we started for Taiwan, a movement, and we're getting government policymaker involved. Mm-hmm. And we really lucky to have a few real good uh, young legislators, we call it. A lot of uh, 
progressive, have vision for Taiwan's future, not just very short term. Yes. We have all those uh, really good uh, legislators realize this is the one way that we should open up and let more people uh, welcome them yes. to come to Taiwan. And the best way to do it relax or reform our immigration. That's why it was so hard to introduce you. I started Googling about you. Um, <laughs> it was because of you that I realized there's this thing as a serial entrepreneur. And I was going, what is a serial entrepreneur? You know, because entrepreneurs are, it, usually they just do one job. Mm -hmm. You know, they start up one, one startup and then they do that mm -hmm. and do it well. Right. But you, you start one and then you start another and then a third one and a fourth one. Yeah. That's why it was so hard to introduce you. You know, I didn't even know because you're doing so many different things. Yeah, but this is my again. This is what I learned. It's not my film, but it's my business philosophy. Actually, I, I believe that you, you don't have to go big, but you have to go really unique. Number two, in order to be sustainable, you have to diversify. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs>